thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brienne Schoen, and I am joined today by Madison Dubroff. Madison is a corrective exercise specialist, and we had a great conversation today, really diving into his experiences in the past as an injured athlete, as a chronically injured athlete, what that meant for him going through therapy, and how he transitioned to the corrective exercise side of things and found great results. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Madison, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Brianne. You are quite welcome. I am excited to talk to you. I think I came, I think you joined my Facebook group and I just loved what you had to say. So I got really curious on exactly who you are and what you do, um, which led to this conversation. Um, so before you get any further, I'm just going to have you dive in and answer. Who are you? Sure. Um, well, yeah, my name is Madison Dubroff. Uh, I am based out of California, Los Angeles area. Uh, and I've been a functional movement coach and corrective exercise specialist for the last 12 years and some change. Uh, and I, yeah, I work online. Um, I, I have a team of physical therapists and orthopedic movement specialists and functional health coaches. And, and we basically work to help bridge the gap from recurring and chronic injuries and sorenesses and pains and all that good stuff that people often deal with, especially those of us that love to stay active. And we want to move them not only out of that injury or out of that pain, but advance them back to whatever activities that they love, whether that's running, whether that is going for long hikes or whether that's playing with the kids in the yard or whatever it is that, or, or CrossFit workouts, whatever they want to do. We want to make sure that we're um, getting their body prepared to that level. So we take a holistic approach with it. And, um, it's something that benefited me personally with my, my own journey. Uh, I was an athlete that dealt with a ton of, uh, chronic, uh, pains and a lot of very varieties of injuries to, um, the ankles that were, were a good one, Achilles heel, no pun intended with ton, tons of tons and tons of sprains and massive tears. Um, both knees got like meniscus, ACL, um, MCL injuries to between the two of them, uh, lower back sciatica was, uh, was, a, a, a probably one of the bigger of the issues for a number of years and, um, even like neck and shoulder and all kinds of stuff. So I kind of went through the gambit and it impacted my career as a, a football player. And I then got into this kind of whole holistic rehabilitation process and loved it and pivoted my career and never looked back. Awesome. Um, and that's what I really want to dive into is kind of your story. Um, you created what you have today because of like what you learned in your past. What did that past process look like as far as surgeries or therapy or all the failed attempts of who knows what? Yeah, sure. Um, so for me, uh, there was basically eight straight years of with with playing competitive football um, that I was dealing with normally one to two pretty significant injuries. Several of them knocked me out for months on end from playing, but a lot of times they were serious enough, like a brutal sprained ankle. 
it was serious enough to really impact me, but I could duct tape that thing up enough that I could like hobble around the field and, and, and grit my teeth a bit. Um, take far too much, uh, too, way too much ibuprofen. I was popping that like candy at the time. Um, but I, uh, like my kind of journey personally was often uh, <laughs> start the season feeling amazing, did all this off-season training, feeling really strong, feeling stable, million bucks. And within like three weeks or less, something would give a hamstring would tear, my back would go out, my knee would get sprained, whatever. Um, and then I, the remainder of the, the next several months of the season, I just felt like a shell of myself. Like I would perform at like what felt like 70, 80% of my capacity at best, um, constantly, living in physical therapy and athletic trainers offices do like just rehabbing my body. I was just chasing symptoms left and right and doing, um, ankle specific, knee specific, back specific hips, whatever, whatever was hurt. It was that specific rehab that was done. And then I'd get out of that season, take a, it would take me a month or two to feel like I was becoming more normal again. And then more often than not, my off seasons went pretty well. Like I, I would, I wasn't training like an idiot. I, I listened to my body. I, I worked on uh, a lot of important like range of motion. Like I, I did like general stretching and that kind of stuff. I, I wasn't a complete meathead, um, although tempted to be that way. Um, and and I would feel really good. And then the next year would come around and rinse and repeat that process. Uh, and so I. Like I said, I, I lived through the rehabilitation. Like I, I spent more time in physical therapy and athletic trainers' offices than I did in the gym, um, and and I got really comfortable with rehabbing my body. Um, and then, yeah, I, I got out of it because I, I like I stopped playing just because I, I, I one of the main reasons was I was just sick of being in pain. I was sick of hurting. Um, I like, I just, I couldn't, I was in my early twenties and couldn't live a normal life. I you know, like sitting in a car for more than 20 minutes, my sciatic nerve would go on fire or like nothing, nothing like being like 21 years old and throwing out your back, picking up some laundry and call, crawling up the stairs and being in back spasms and stuff like that. It just didn't make sense. Um, and I was naturally kind of getting into the fitness industry that was, that was kind of, uh, as I was transitioning out of it and I, uh, was finding that I was working with a lot of, uh, other individuals dealing with injuries and recurring pains. And I felt really comfortable working with them because I, I knew what to do and what not to do with them since I kind of lived in physical therapy. And then that kind of just things fell into place where I was like, Oh, there's this whole thing of being like a corrective exercise specialist and you can work on functional movement and take more of a holistic view at teaching the whole body how to move correctly. Like no one ever taught me how to walk, let alone run. Like I, I, I had no idea what proper mechanics were supposed to be. So my body, even if as in the best shape of my life, I, my body kind of moved like crap and I had all kinds of asymmetries. So uh, correcting that was what was the game changer for me and what caused me to like get into the industry that I am now. Without going into specific details, since like saying exactly what you did for every single issue would be difficult to do. Like what kind of, what was the difference between 
going to therapy, doing those exercises to treat specifically the symptoms and the type of exercises you were doing that actually got you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I would say that the kind of like kind of the across the board, no matter what the injury was, the, the kind of protocols around it were, were first a whole lot of stim and ice. Let's get that stim and ice going like crazy and nobody's business. Um, some, uh, depending on the therapist I was working with or athletic trainer I was working with, there was a lot of passive range of motion and manual manipulation that was done around the area never really explored above and below it. Like if I hurt my knee, we were working on knee range of motion. We weren't looking at my ankle range of motion or hip range of motion to see maybe why that knee was pissed off in the first place. So it was always very local in terms of the, any kind of range of motion or manipulation that was done. And then exercise wise was like the gambit of, of things that are needed. Like, I, I think that if you just, if you just injured yourself, then yeah, you need to do like some passive or easy like knee extensions or you need to do some basic bridges or clamshells or whatever like all all of our kind of typical um ankle circles or draw the abcs with that like all those things are, are needed single leg balance or stand on an eric's pad or whatever um but it was never beyond that uh or i should say very rarely beyond that every once in a while i would have a uh, therapist that I was working with a physio that would have me be doing like a, it would, you would almost go from like super basic, go from like barely standing on one leg to like the next time you see him, you're doing like squat to medicine ball throws. There was like very little bridging the gap of, of like, all right, now you can stand on one leg. Let's teach you how to make that a little more dynamic, or let's teach you how to squat better, or lunge better or hip. Pain. It was it was like zero to 60 if there was any kind of progression from there. And the, like, at that point it was just like, it, you didn't get, I didn't get a lot of cues, specific cues on what I should be doing correctly or what I should do differently or whatever. It was just kind of like squat and throw that ball against the wall as hard as you can. And let's see if you can do it. And if you're, and if that thing hurts and if it doesn't hurt, cool. We're like, we're good to go. So that, that was kind of my experience. It was hyper-focused treatments. A lot of the basic um, exercises, a range of motion techniques. And then every once in a while you like someone would be like, Oh, you're a football player. Okay. Well, like, all right, now you can, now you can, uh, uh, extend your knee and, and flex your knee to a certain degree. So box jumps, it was like, okay. So it was way extreme on one end or the other. And then going to more of the corrective exercise type stuff, like what did you start doing or maybe experimenting with on yourself that you started noticing like things are actually improving now. Oh yeah. Sorry. I think, I think you already asked that. You asked me to bring that gap. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the difference in terms of kind of a more holistic and movement-based rehabilitation process um, that led to performance uh, was not just like looking at the localized area, but taking a really good, um, picture of how the body moves in like all planes of motion and all of its various patterns. So like, um, sometimes like we get like the squat is something that we look at, um, and initially see like, all right, what's their depth and how they're, how symmetrical is their body or what, what's their, um, lumbar position in while they're doing like, we, we take a look at a number of different things in that squat pattern, but that's like one, that's one movement pattern of many that we do each day. We also, 
lunge and we lunge in multiple planes of motion. We, we hip hinge and we hip hinge on one or both legs. We have different positions of our legs when we are squatting. And then we also have this whole upper body where we're doing rotations and reaches uh, like overhead work. And like, there's all kinds of different other, uh, other movement, um, movements that we do on a regular basis. So if we take a look at all of them and see, all right, well, when they are lunging, like maybe when they squat, they look okay. But if they lunge, if they get unilateral with one leg versus the other, that's when their body goes to whack, like goes all, all wacky. Well, okay. That means that we have one, uh, we have a, a single sided imbalance there. So then let's take a look at their ranges of motion. What's going on. Why is that occurring? Is it from their ankles? Is there one ankle that's doing something different than the other? Is it from their hips and the hips move in multiple ranges of motion. So let's look at that in different positions. Um, is it their thoracic spine, their shoulder girdle? Is, what, what's going on that's kind of impacting that gluten core complex, those big, important muscle groups that stabilize us when they're in that staggered stance or whatever the position is. And once for me, I figured out like my right ankle was totally different than my left ankle. It was way like it, it, that was the ankle that I did more damage to than the left. So it was just a bunch of scar tissue that limited its range of motion. I, I had a significant difference in my hip um, flexion and extension versus hip internal and external rotation. Like they were total opposites. Um, my, my thoracic spine was also asymmetrical. I couldn't rotate very well to the left, but I could rotate great to the right. Like I, I was limited all over the place from one side to the other. So as I did the right mobility work to the areas a little bit every day, like one day working on the ankles, one day working on the hips, one day working on the thoracic spine and just kind of chipping away at getting my body more back to symmetry, at least on its range of the motion that allowed me to build the foundation that I could then start to act, like work on those lunges and get them balanced again. And that that's when you, you, it's, like learning how you should lunge, like where should that knee be? How should your hip be positioned? Where should you feel this? Like where should, what should be working right now? What should be burning out and tiring out? Like those kinds of things are invaluable for me because now I knew what to pay attention to. And with the range of motion back to where it needed to, I was actually able to do the things correctly and feel it the way that I should. Oh yeah, I do feel that, that right butt burning out. And I do feel that back left hip flexor opening up. Like I, actually felt what I was supposed to. And by doing a more kind of holistic movement rehabilitation process that got me back to like moving throughout my day really well. And that then allowed me to progress it a little bit more and get a little bit more challenging and start going more like single leg, single side stuff, working on more dynamic stability. And then that allowed me to actually do the fast twitch stuff that I mentioned earlier, like I was able to do the squat to medicine ball throws and box jumps and all the, and sprint and do all those fun things with having a body that was symmetrical and moving really well from each direction. And so like for the last uh, 11, 12 years, I've been able to be a weekend warrior. Now I'm not a, I wouldn't say competitive athlete, but I definitely enjoy playing some basketball and racquetball and going for runs with the dogs. And like, I, I'm not dealing with chronic pains anymore, skiing, all that good stuff. I love that you mentioned the mobility aspect to it. Cause I think so often we get into, or like people look for self-treatment 
ways to self-treat, which I totally get it. Um, but it just becomes like, oh, I need to strengthen my glutes and I need to do heel raises and I need to do all of this stuff. Never looking at the facts or never, you know, looking at to see, is my body even moving like it needs to be in order to actually like make these exercises work like they need to work? Yeah. I, yeah, I can't, I, that to me is always, I shouldn't say always, but like with the, with the clients that we work with, that's probably like 95% of the first things that we do with them. It doesn't have to be like only mobility work. It's not like they're not allowed to do any activities while they're doing mobility, but it's, it's like, if you're, if you're going to spend 10 to 20 minutes a day, that's what I try to commit to on my body. That's what we try to ask our clients to commit to on their body to like actually correct it or maintain it. Something like to do some maintenance work and give it some love. Initially, like I, I couldn't agree with what you said uh, enough is that if you don't have the ability to move correctly, cause you have literal physical restrictions, you got fascia that's gunked up and tightened up, or you got old scar tissue, which technically is fascia that's all gunked up or whatever you have, you have literal range of motion restrictions that are preventing you from moving well, then that's like your low hanging fruit. You got to restore, especially big asymmetries. Like let, let's get into those gunked up tissues and bust them up and break them up and get, um, do some dynamic stretching if appropriate and blah, blah, blah. And let's, let's get your range of motion back to where it needs to be. And that's what allows us to move correctly. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think it's also important to note you're, we're talking mobility, not stretching. <laughs> like, I feel like, I think stretching is overrated personally. Like there's a time and place for certain things. Like it, like, yeah, there's a time and place for everything, but I think stretching is very overrated just because we aren't really getting into the joint itself and figuring out well, like why that's limited. We're just essentially like stretching all the things that around it that feel tight and hoping it works. Yeah. I like, are you, are, are, Brianne, are you a fan of Katie Bowman? I know I'm familiar with it, but I don't really do much with it. So is, uh, well, uh, Katie, Katie Bowman is, uh, a, a biomechanist who had like, she, she's written a couple of books, like ones that move your DNA. And she, ha- I steal this illustration, like from what you just talked about, um, all the time. And she talks about stretching, uh, gunked up tight tissue that has like fa- fascial restrictions and all that kind of stuff in it versus pliable tissue. And she kind of, she uses this example. And I'm like, this is beautiful. Is that if you, if you have normal gliding tissue that you want to do some stretching or dynamic stretching to, and that kind of stuff, great. Knock yourself out. That's like taking a cotton shirt or something and pulling on it. And it has a normal amount of elasticity that's distributed amongst that whole cotton shirt or whatever you're wearing. But if you have areas that have scar tissue or have like tissue restrictions because they haven't been hydrated very well, like you got this like real sticky tight stuff, then that's like taking swabs of paint and painting it on that shirt and letting that paint dry and then trying to pull on it. And now you have certain areas of fabric that are stuck together that aren't going to open up versus other areas of that shirt are going to have to overstretch beyond what's, what's they, they're even comfortable with. So you can stretch out your hamstrings all you want, but if you got like all this gunk throughout your hamstrings, then you're just going to overstretch certain parts of the hamstring and the areas that are actually the causes of the tightness 
are never getting addressed. They're, they're still gunked up and sticky. So I just, I love that, that, um, that illustration or that example, I should say, because it's uh, like, yeah, if you, if you, if you, if you just stretch and, and most of us that are over the age of 10 have actual gunk, gunk, gunked up <laughs> tissue that's preventing us from moving very well, then you're, you're not getting the benefits of the stretching you think you are. Yeah. Let's take a quick break now to talk about OS first compression and bracing. It is commonly known that compression helps with circulation. We see that medically decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights using compression to decrease swelling. And even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. Long term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com slash partners, get a direct link to OS First, as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. Let's actually dive into that a little bit. Um, Cause I think so many times, I know I talk with people and it's like, oh, have you ever been injured in the past? Well, it was like when I was 15 years old and just kind of, and it, I think we discount the stuff that happened years ago as being contributors to what could be going on now. So let's dive into that a little bit as far as like our injuries 10, 15, 20 years ago and how those impact how our bodies are moving today. Yeah. So like there's that old, that the whole thing is scar tissue. I think most of us that have had a significant injury have heard of that stuff. It's basically like when you, when you significantly tear up tissue, your body's first response is to create its own cast. Um, so what it does is it grows back this fascial web of tissue but it grows it back in like random assortments, like a rat's nest that encompasses that damaged tissue. And that stuff we all uh, like gets really bound up, uh, but it's done on purpose. Like it's a defense mechanism to make sure we don't keep hurting that area any further. Right. So that stuff though, as it protects that joint or that tissue from getting hurt more and over time that tissue or joint heals, it's still left over. We still got this rat's nest that's all stuck around. And that causes us to kind of have this perpetual difference from one side to the other. And we we learn to compensate. Like all of us know that when we hurt something, we got to compensate for a period of time. And it's really noticeable. Like you roll your ankle, you're hobbling around and limping, or if you're in crutches or that kind of thing. Like we've all, we've all gone through those things and felt the difference of like how one side atrophies or how we learn to have our pimp walk and that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> like we, we've all, we've all learned that that's a natural 
compensation, but we don't realize that when, or I shouldn't say we don't, some people do, some people finish it and they're like, I, I've finished rehabbing and they're like, I still feel totally out of balance and they just don't know why. Um, but most of us don't realize that we still have imbalances that were left over. It's just subtle now. It's not so drastic. Like we have these little hip drops to one side, or we have one foot that does turns out just a little bit further than the other. And then over the decades of 10,000 steps a day and death by a thousand cuts, like we start to piss off either that area of the body or other areas that have been taken on more than they should start talking to us. The good leg all of a sudden becomes a problem child. And and it's because of like how we've compensated or learned to compensate around these areas subconsciously. And then when you, to me, like, I, I don't know about you, Brianne, but like from my perspective too, it's, it's also the, the postures that we're in throughout the day. And we don't realize subconsciously that we have these single-sided tendencies over and over again. Is that something that you're dealing with on a regular basis? Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part. Cause, um, Oh, I, it's not something I dive into immediately with someone, but as someone's getting better and then kind of keeps like gets a plateau or starts getting some flare ups, I start having that conversation of like, really start paying attention to what you're doing in the middle, like during your day. And nine times out of 10, I get the response of like, well, I'm not doing anything different or abnormal. And I think it's, I mean, and to ourselves, we aren't like, it's just, it's the way we've learned to stand when we're washing dishes or when we're doing laundry or whatever. And so we don't think about that as being an issue. And so a lot of times it takes a deep conversation of diving in of just like, even if you have to film yourself all day, like, what are you doing that's contributing to this issue still? Yeah. Like I, I, I like to ask people like, what are you, what are you doing most consistently throughout your day? Like how much are you driving? Cause a lot of times people don't even realize that they're doing something asymmetrical while they're driving. They got one foot that turned out totally toward the gas pedal. They got the other leg bent up near them. They're driving with one arm and leaning toward one armrest or the other. And like they get their kink there the whole time they're driving, they don't realize it. Or if they're at their office and working all day, like how do you sit? Are you sitting neutral or do you sit with one leg crossed over or under the other? Do you have a, uh, a monitor that's off to one side that you're always looking toward or well, however, if you're a mom, do you always pick up your, your kid and hold them on one hip versus the other? Or are you um, always holding one bag on one arm versus the other? Like there's, there's so many things that we do, even at the end of the day, like my wife and I, we, we talk about this all the time. Like we sit and we watch our, our TV at the end of the day and we're always on one side of the couch versus the other. So you're always going to lean to that one armrest. And so you create like an imbalance to one side and, uh, and then little things show up where you favor one leg. Like you're all, you're bending up forward to unload the dishwasher. It's always with that right leg in front. It's never with the other leg feels super goofy, but you wouldn't even realize that. Like we, we just tend to do things one-sided. And as we learn, Oh yeah, this is, this is what I always favor. If we start working towards the other side, it's, feels goofy initially, but it starts to become more natural. And all of a sudden, like that body doesn't ache so much because we're not torquing it over and over to one direction or the other. Yeah. I have a really good example. A client of mine came to me with foot issues, like plantar fascia, fascia type symptoms. Um, but I started looking at things. It's like, there was some foot issues going on, but the opposite hip had some stuff and we were clearing all that up. He was doing better, but still kept flaring himself up. 
well, he start, finally realized when he's standing at work, at home, anything like he's on his right foot all the time. Yeah. So it was almost like he had created just like a bone, a bone bruise from constantly putting weight, like all day on that part of the foot until he started being more attentive of it and shifting weight to the other side. Like that's when things really started clearing up for him. Um, and so it is just these habitual things and he's probably done that for decades, but it's those yeah. habitual things that create a lot of our issues. Yeah. And so many people like in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, we associate those like random issues. as just like, ah, it's coming with age. Like mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm on the, the steady decline. I hit my forties and now it's just time for the body to start wearing out. It's just a matter of time until I'm in that wheelchair. Like we just think of it that way. And as opposed to like, no, in reality, our joints and tissues are supposed to outlast us. They're supposed to, they're supposed to feel good a heck of a lot longer than like our organs do. So if we, if we take care of this thing, it, it's going to feel good for decades upon decades upon decades. But if we, if we're not aware and we're doing repetitive patterns, even like you just said, just like standing on one leg versus the other over and over and over again for years on end then it's going to create, it's like that death by a thousand cuts, just these subtle imbalances. And yeah, eventually something is going to give way. Something's going to get impacted. Um, but the beauty is, is that basically everybody has the ability to heal. You can't, and you can relearn how to move correctly. Like you can reprogram that central nervous system. It takes some awareness. You got to be like, you got to be proactive about it. But like, with normally within like a few months, most people can chip away at 90% of their issues and get themselves in a really good place um, really quickly. So yeah, that's a great example. And I think the tough thing with that too, is like you already mentioned a little bit ago, like our quote unquote normal movements get ingrained into our subconscious. So they feel totally normal. So then when we go to start correcting them, it feels totally wrong. It feels totally off. And our body and our brain are like, what are you doing to me right now? And then like, it, it can be a really frustrating process as like, I know I should be here, but this doesn't feel right. So I want to go back over here. And it's this like back and forth. I think it almost happens with your brain trying to figure out like where I'm supposed to be and why. Yeah. And I think that's where like working with someone like yourself or have like having a, a coach or a therapist that has their eyes on you and can confirm with you, like that's where that's invaluable. Like it's one thing to watch the instructions on like a YouTube or Facebook video and try to, and, and try to uh, piecemeal it yourself. But it's another thing to have somebody look at you and say, yeah, that's exactly, you're moving perfectly. And then asking them questions like, is that like, do you feel this muscle working right now? You're not sure? Put your hand on your butt. See if that's working right now. Do you feel tightening? Okay, good. That That's exactly what we want to feel. Or do you feel that stretch there? Like, that can help someone be like, okay, this might feel really awkward, but according to what Brianne's telling me, that's exactly what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. So that's what I got to practice and recreate every time I do this on my own each day. And, and then after a week or two, that thing doesn't feel quite so goofy. And after a month or two, that thing starts to feel natural and easy. And all of a sudden the body is become has adapted to it and learned how to move correctly. It just, those, like you said, those initial, like the initial one, two, three times that you practice, like trying to adjust walking gait, like, oh my gosh, I, I like, I laugh all the time when I get the descriptions from our clients, when they first try to start adjusting their walking gait, like they're like, I feel like I'm walking with the, like stirrups between my knees, or I like, I, I feel like I'm waddling everywhere. Right. Like, 
they're like, my head feels like it's moving side to side over and over again because they're, they have no idea. Um, no one ever taught them how to walk correctly. And now they're trying to do something different and their body is not fluid with it yet, but it, no one else could realize that. Like, it doesn't look like they're actually walking like a penguin, but they, but they just feel that way. And then eventually it gets to be more second nature, but it, the initial part's goofy. Totally. It really is. I, um, I don't think I, you knew I was in a boot for eight weeks, uh, 2020 summer. And I got out of the boot and I put a video on Facebook and Instagram and my colleague, he messaged me. He's like, get, he's like, get, push off your toe, push off your toe. I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> it's get so that, hard. Get that, get that first second metatarsal going. <laughs> sure. like, I'm working on it. <laughs> We've kind of brushed past a little bit, but I know something big with you is when a lot of coaches are looking at movement patterns, it's like, everyone's just focuses on like, what does the squat look like and how symmetrical is that? And what is like, what are the positions? Um, and I know your big thing is like, look past the squat and like looking at what else is going on with the body. And I know we kind of brushed past it as far as like, you mentioned like looking at the lunge and all these other things that we do throughout the day. Um, are there other, like to help people like with a little bit more specifics, are there like other certain movements that were, that you're typically looking at when you're assessing people to just kind of get a full idea of like how movement patterns are? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, like I don't get me wrong. The squat's really valuable. I, I look at everybody's squat. Like I, I wouldn't like, it's a, it's a go-to, but I think so many of us, pigeonhole ourselves in that assessment. Um, especially like, uh, like you should, you probably know this, like I, I saw all your, and congratulations on your NESM credential and all that kind of stuff. But like, like a lot of our, our certifications and licenses and that kind of stuff, like they preach, assess the squat, assess the squat, assess the squat. And that's where most of the education goes. Now, they also will talk about some other, like maybe some single leg stand stuff, or maybe taking a look at like some shoulder rotator cuff ranges of motion. They, like there's other things as well, but the squats, like kind of the, the end all be all that we prioritize. And as important as that is, it's like, it's not the only thing that we do throughout the day. And I would say for most people, it's not even the main thing that we do throughout the day. Like most people walk and, uh, and if you run, that's like a more, uh, exaggerated version of walking and like, it, it, and then obviously we, we don't move. Like I, I can't, I don't, I, unless I was picking up a heavy box, I can't remember the last time I went to pick something up with the perfect neutral squat. Like I'm always have one foot in front of the other, or I'm always bending at the waist or something like that. I'm, I'm never like doing a perfect squat. The only time I perfectly squat is sitting down to a chair and coming back up basically or exercising. But like, so to me, those, those other patterns are really important. So I, I always am looking at somebody's lunge. I want to see uh, a split stance. I want to see how they're getting deep into kind of that kneeling position. If they're able to, obviously this, th there's a caveat that if someone can't do it, if it, this are, if any of these positions cause them pain, then yeah, we stop, we stop. We like, this isn't an appropriate assessment for them right now. Still might be something that we got to like work to improve on, but for right now, we're not, we're not touching anything that looks like a lunge. We're going to build toward it. But lunging uh, is a really important thing. I want to see how they hip hinge. I want to see how they're deadlifting type thing to, to take a look at how they're bending over the sink to wash their face or bending over to pick up the groceries or whatever. 
Um, I want to take a look at their upper body. I want to see how their um, thoracic rotation is looking like. I want to see their thoracic extension, their overhead position. I want to take a look at their shoulder girdles um, and how they're moving in internal and external rotation on both sides. Like I, I think all of those are kind of staples, but then beyond that, I, I like to ask people, especially maybe not initially, but kind of like how you were talking about if somebody, if somebody's still having issues as they're going through the rehabilitation process with you and you want to start being like, all right, let's, let's think about what you're doing on a daily basis where the root causes are coming from. Similar. If I, after I kind of build up the foundation around some of these kind of staple movement patterns that we do in some way, shape or form throughout our day, if that person is still dealing with kind of tweaks here and there, or like they're having ebbs and flows, like some days they are going to feel good. And some days they're, they're not feeling so good. I want to get my eyes on the activity that they're doing. Um, so like if they are, if they're always getting down on the ground because they're, they got a toddler and they're getting all the way down on the ground. And every time they get up, they feel that knee or they feel that back or whatever then I'm going to have them get up and down. I want to see, I'm going to say, all right, I want, I want to see five or six times you just get down on the ground and get back up. I want to see how you're doing it and then notate how their body is moving and why that knee is talking to them each time. Um, if they're a runner, obviously I want to see a video of them running and I want to get, I want to be able to look at them frame by frame from both front back into the side and see what the heck their body is doing from their ankles to their hips, to their shoulders and neck. Um, at, like if they play a sport, like we have cricket players who are, uh, that, that are, are, are moving in all kinds of weird positions. Um, and I'm like, all right, I want, I want to see you pitch. Like, show me, show me how you're, you're bowling. I want to see how you're swinging that tennis racket. I want to see, like, I, I want to see how your body actually moves and, and see, see where the disconnect is. And then, give them some cues that they can work on as like a dynamic warm up. Hey, you like, this is what I want you to think about as you're doing a, a warm up. I want you to take a couple of swings and really be kind of controlled. Don't worry about where the ball goes. I just want you to worry about how your body is feeling right here and practice this kind of motion. Well, that's going to be what stabilized that knee correctly. Um, so yeah, to me, to me, it's actually taking a look at what the heck they're doing and giving them some feedback on it. I think too, it's really cool. And I'm sure you found this yourself. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as you start working with people in that manner, it's like, they start figuring out this stuff for themselves. As far as like, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, when I'm doing this activity, my left leg rotates inward. Like, why is it like, it shouldn't be doing that. Let's work on keeping it straight. And I think people are like, start to develop a more of awareness of like when those asymmetries are going on with their bodies too. Yeah. A thousand percent. I just had a client yesterday message us, uh, about like they were doing some yard work and they were realizing every time they bend over to pick up, um, the rake up the leaves or pick, uh, like pick out a, a weed or that kind of thing. They always are kneeling toward the left knee and always have the right leg forward. And they're like, ah, this is another area where I'm always favoring that one side. Uh, and this is something that I do on a weekly basis. So like, totally, I think that just educating people on, on some of the foundational pieces, they start to realize, Oh, this is where I'm always favoring one side or the other. This is where that I noticed that knee buckling in when it shouldn't be like Brian's always telling me like, don't let that knee go towards that big toe. And I'm every time I, I do this activity, it does. Yeah. I, I totally agree. It's, it becomes, 
it, it becomes a self-correcting mechanism pretty quickly. I'm curious about something because like most things that we do, we can figure out how to correct our positioning so we're not constantly asymmetrical. What do you, like for people who maybe drive for their jobs or commute an hour or two a day, like one leg has to be forward when we're driving, unless you're on cruise control. Like that's just how it has to be. What are some like tips that you give some of those people or do you have any for like what to do to help counteract that? Yeah. So first and foremost, like I try to educate people on what's the lesser of evils. Um, So like things like avoid bucket seats, like the plague Um, don't like, even though technically one, your right leg is going to be a little bit more extended than the left. You don't have to have your left knee fully bent with that left foot uh, up against the seat while the right leg is turned out externally the whole time. Like it's teaching them how to get into as neutral of a position as possible. And also give them the grace and be like, look, I don't expect you to sit like an uptight race car driver this whole time, but like try to maintain that as long as you can and give yourself permission that you're going to want to slouch to one side. Occasionally, you're not going to like, you're going to get lazy and that kind of stuff. But then when you realize it, get back on it, get back to neutral, do your best to get the body into as good of a position as it can. Um, Then there's also things like, depending on the length of the car ride, if they're in the car and things start tightening up, I'll tell them like, Hey, try to wake up a glute alternatively, like drive one heel into the the floor of the car and squeeze that side's glute and then relax it and then go to the other side and then relax it. If they're in, if they're the passenger, I'm like, Hey, drop that seat back and go into some glute bridges or bring your trigger point ball and release some the areas in your body. Um, they're like, whatever is appropriate for the thing that they're doing. I got clients that send me videos while they're on an airplane and they'll, they'll get up in the aisle and they'll do a movement break by busting out some lunges and squats just because (laughs) they don't want to sit there forever. But beyond that, it's like, okay, we can only do so much, but to mitigate the, the tightnesses, um, before, after that long car ride or whatever, like here's your go-to dynamic stretches or go-to exercises to do as soon as you can. Like if you're, if you're able to take three to five minutes, here is a dynamic hip flexor stretch here to open up that, that kinked hip that you've had that whole time. Here's a quick, um, thoracic spine intercostal stretch. Here's a a quick, uh, chest stretch to do or neck stretch to do or whatever it is. And, and just take 30 seconds, move in and out of that range of motion, or, or if the person knows how to lunge correctly, or they know how to squat or hip hinge correctly, I might say, Hey, these two or three exercises get out and do five, five to 10 reps of each of them. And, and just going through that, like, that's what I do. We, my wife and I are regularly going out to the, the Palm Springs region from us, which is a couple hour car ride. And Every time I get out of that car, I meet, I take five minutes and I'm, I'm going through a, a five minute dynamic flow and I just loosen up the, the hips and the shoulder girdle and thoracic spine again. And that, that goes an incredibly long way in, in offsetting the stuff that we have to do for our jobs or have to do for certain activities or events that we're, we got on the docket. Awesome. Thank you for those tips. And yeah, I, I'm the same way with when I'm road tripping, I try to stop as little as possible, but when I do stop, I am doing the same thing. And then, yeah, when I get there, it's like, I have my like three or four dynamic stretches that I do for like five, 10 minutes just to loosen the hips up and loosen everything up from, from sitting for so long. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's what I, I don't. Do you use um? Do you ever use any super bands to like or resistance bands to like pull, aid in stretches to like pull the hip capsule open and that kind of stuff? At times. I that's like I I can't leave my home without like I, I'm always bringing bringing my big green band and, and a door anchor and I'm I'm like I'm always yanking open my hips and some dynamic stretch I freaking love that thing so yeah that's my go-to <laughs> yeah hips I occasionally will I use it more for my ankles my right ankle had surgery on it years ago and it still stiffens up on me so I'll use it more for my ankle but yeah when I'm traveling or especially to a competition like that's going along with me totally nice. So, well, Madison, this was a great conversation. If someone wants more information, if someone just wants to reach out to you for any reason, how can they find you? Yeah, I I think probably the easiest uh, way is if they're on Facebook or Instagram, we are just at health by ratio, um, H-E-A-L-T-H and then B-Y ratio, R-A-T-I-O. And we, or our, our website, you can go to healthbyratio.com and all those, like you can send direct messages. They go to my inbox directly or uh, on our website, we have a contact us form and that kind of stuff. So if anyone wants to check out any of the videos that we put out regularly on tips and tricks on how to release the body and exercise the body, correct it, um, even assess, like we I would try to talk about how to self-assess and see where your own imbalances are and correct them and that kind of stuff. Then yeah, the, the, um, Facebook or Instagram platforms are great for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Truly my pleasure. Thanks, Brianne. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on highly functional. Before I go, I want to talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's gonna be a lot more difficult to climb, you're gonna use a lot more energy, and you have more chance of failing. So if you wanna be more efficient with your rope climbs, in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com slash courses, along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today. And now it's time to go out and be highly functional.